What is up, guys? Welcome back to Chatter from the Cheap Seats, the number one podcast in all of the DMV. That is probably not true. I am joined with my co-host, Sammy Krimstein. He is rocking the blue Cubs hat and the black Quince Orchard hoodie. We have a fantastic episode for you guys today. We were joined by Keith McPherson of John Boy Media. Awesome guy. Unbelievable guest. It wasn't really an interview. It was more of a conversation, but definitely my favorite guest that we've had on so far, uh, great episode. You guys are going to love it. Before we send you to that, Sammy, do you have anything you would like to add? Oh, yeah. Keith is the nicest guy in the world. Super fun to talk to and, you know, just talking all sports, all sorts of things. And I think you guys are really going to like it. A lot of interesting stuff that we talked about. So definitely check it out. Uh, really fun guy to talk to. Yeah, remember to follow us on Instagram and TikTok, chatter underscore cheap seats pod, and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. And without further ado, let's send you to Keith. We are joined by Keith McPherson of John Boy Media, the host of the Pinch Site Strong Podcast and Talking Nets. Keith, thanks for coming on the pod. How you doing? Yo, Jack from DC. Now I'm on the other yes, side. Sir. Usually, <laughs> usually Jack is calling in the Pinstripe Strong or Talking Yanks now. I get to be a guest on Jack's pod and Sam's pod. What's up, guys? Yeah, if you um if you don't know John Boy Media, you should check them out. They do a lot of cool stuff in baseball and just they're getting into football with talking giants, pretty much all sports now. I call into Keith's show a lot. It's super cool. You guys should check out Pinstripe Strong podcast. And you know, we're gonna talk some baseball, we're gonna talk some basketball, but let's start off with the Super Bowl, you know, Keith. What were your what were your reaction? Because I don't think anybody was expecting it to go down the way it did. Oh, man, it, it hurt to see my boy Patrick Mahomes just not have receivers that could catch the ball, not have offensive linemen that could block. Uh, he was out there on his own. It, it looked like uh, a complete different game from the game we saw Thanksgiving weekend, that Sunday when uh, the Chiefs beat the Bucks and Tyreek Hill had like 200 yards in the first half, complete different game. Uh, I got to throw some dirt on the officials' names because the refs were calling every possible penalty on the Chiefs. It's tough to beat the refs in a good team, especially when that good team has Tom Brady and they're at home for the first time ever. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers host and win the first Super Bowl in their own place. And Tom Brady is the goat of all goats with seven rings, only to be rivaled by Robert Ori and Ariana Grande. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, the discussion is over. He's got more rings than any other player in modern-day sports. I know people are going to compare him to Yogi Berra. I'm a big Yogi guy, but Yogi played in a way different time. It was exciting in the beginning, but the game was over at half. And Tom Brady, he has more Super Bowl rings than any other uh, NFL franchise. There's nothing more to say besides give Tom Brady his respect. He left. Bill Belichick and the Patriots, he went to Tampa Bay and took the Bucks to the Super Bowl when nobody thought that actually could happen. They said, you know, it never happens. The team that hosts the Super Bowl never makes it to the Super Bowl, let alone wins it. Tom Brady becomes the first quarterback to win a Super Bowl in the AFC and NFC. Just keeps adding to his legend, and he's coming back. He said it last night. Of course he's coming back. 
Yeah, I mean, for Brady, I mean, he's it's it's undisputable. I mean, I, there wasn't really dispute before, but like he is, you know, hands down the goat. And I mean, for me, I just feel so bad for like you know, like you were saying for Mahomes. I mean, he just all year. I mean, obviously that Chiefs offense has been basically impossible to stop, and you know, rightfully so. I mean, but you know, the O line issues were just huge. He had no time, and I, you know. On social media, you see all the memes about it and everything. But like, he was seriously just like running around all game. And I, I, I thought, like, I, I wonder how many yards he ran just trying to run away from that Bucks D line. They said 497 yards. Oh, is there actually stat? Mm. No yes, way. he ran almost 500 yards just running away from <laughs> Andamakin Sue, Shaq Barrett, JPP, Vita Vea. It's ridiculous. 500 yards rushing on the ground, running away. Like, those weren't all – obviously, those weren't positive yards. Yeah. <laughs> they were not positive yards. But Running for his life. I mean, that Bucks defense, like, you know, I knew it was good, but I didn't know it was that good. I mean, they played Me either. unbelievable. And the Chiefs also played their worst game of the year. They were yeah. not ready to play. I don't know if it was because of the story with Andy Reid's son or what, but Andy Reid, like, the timeout that he called – right at the end of the first half. I don't know what that was about. They just – the receivers were dropping balls left and right. I mean, I check my phone. I look up. Patrick Mahomes is 15 yards in the backfield getting chased by four bucks. I mean – Yeah. So, I mentioned that. Go for it. Oh, yeah. He also had the turf toe going into the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like there are a lot of odds stacked up against him. I mean, you know, he's going to be back in the Super Bowl very soon. I mean, that's... Mm -hmm. He's got plenty of years to get back. And I I mentioned that first time they met in November, Thanksgiving weekend, completely different game. And when you talk about the Bucs defense, you got to tip your hat to Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles, former Jets coach. You know, the Jets elected to cut him and go with Adam Gase. He leaves. He goes to Tampa Bay, becomes their D coordinator. They got absolutely torched by Tyreek Hill. And he went into this game, and he made sure that didn't happen. He made sure Tyreek Hill didn't end up one-on-one man coverage with no safety help over the top. And then also, they didn't even really blitz them that much. They were able to rush four guys, like I said, in Dominican Sue, uh, Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, and JPP. They were able to rush four guys and get to, to Pat Mahomes. And, yes, Pat Mahomes was playing with turf toe. I actually was calling for them to take him out. He got smacked one play late in the game where I'm like, this is your $450 million investment. He's got turf toe. He's out there on his own. Let Chad Henney take the rest of this L, but they couldn't do that on the biggest stage, but it just sucks. Cause I'm a fan of, of Mahomes. I've been, um, and to see him go out like that yesterday, it was rough, but good for Tom Brady and Tampa Bay and, and Bruce Arians. The last thing I'll say about it, Bruce Arians employs, uh, two women on his staff. And he also has four African-American coaches, his offensive coordinator and Byron Lefwich, his defensive coordinator and Todd Bowles. And I think he's got a couple other position players or position um, coaches that are African-American guys. And it's like yeah. in a league where they're talking about how Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, didn't get a head coaching job. Well, Bruce Arians at 67 is an old white guy that says, well, you know, color doesn't matter as far as the leadership on my team. And who coaches my team? I just want the best. And I want the smartest. And I want the guys that are going to, you know, push my guys to get to the mountaintop. And they did it. They figured it out. So hats off to Bruce Arian, uh, Bruce Arians and, you know, just making sure that uh, 
he kept some diversity in his locker room and in his team. And, and they actually showed that you can get it done no matter what your team looks like, whether there's women coaching your guys, whether there's black guys coaching your guys, white guys, it's all about competition and, and getting it done on the field. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. had, they had the first women, woman ref, I think in Super Bowl history yep. here. Sarah Thomas. She was, yeah, by far the best ref in that game. Only ref that did not Didn't mess up. <laughs> Keith, what were your thoughts on the halftime show? Oh, well, so the, what I'm finding out is people didn't enjoy the halftime show. I was in my living room dancing. I loved it. I turned it up. I'm like, oh, we're at a concert. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm uh, with you on that one. People were dissing it on Twitter. I don't understand. See, so this is what I came to the conclusion last night talking to my fiance she's not a big fan of the weekend i would say that i am a big fan of the weekend i've seen him perform live oh. i've followed him since 2010 i know his story um and i know his songs there's people that watch that and they don't know that like he intertwined some of the deeper cuts from his past albums some of the songs that like if you followed him you knew yeah. like the first song he, he started when he came out the first song you heard was Call Out My Name, and he didn't perform. Like, he didn't actually sing the lyrics to Call Out My Name, but that's a huge record. And people that follow The Weeknd were pumped. And then he goes right into Starboy, which was one of his biggest, like, pop singles of all time. I loved it for two reasons. Uh, Abel, a.k.a. The Weeknd, is not American. He's a Canadian. So it's huge to see a Canadian on the biggest stage in America, the Super Bowl. He beat Drake to it. He beat Justin Bieber to it. and <laughs> He didn't, he's such a, like an underground legend. He didn't stray away from doing, like I said, the, like, uh, the cuts that his fans would know. He didn't yeah. perform, he performed all the pop songs, you know, uh, the 50 Shades of Grey soundtrack song, the, you know, Blinded by the Lights, uh, Star Boy, uh, I Can't Feel My Face. He did all those, but in between transitioning to those songs, he played the deep cuts that you would only know if you listened to all of his albums as a fan would, not just listening to the radio. So I love the halftime show. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of The Weeknd. Before the sh uh, halftime show, I actually listened to his most recent record, um, which After you know, hours. I, I liked it. Yeah, um, and, you know, I liked it. And, like, in terms of the music, I thought, you know, I, I think his music is awesome. I really liked it. I'm just like, I'm not the biggest fan of all the antics and everything. And I know that's what the Super Bowl halftime show is. But, yeah. you know, I'm more of like a, a retro guy in that sense. Like, I don't think any Super Bowl halftime show is ever going to top Prince. That was just like. And I mean, looking at your backdrop. Yeah, you, yeah, I got all my guitars. You got Jimi Hendrix. You got the guitars. You got the keys. You got the drums. You seem like a guy that wants to see someone go up there and rip some instruments and really play. And uh, what I'll say about The weekend is he's always just been a straight up singer performer. But there was an article that came out and, and it said he spent $7 million of his own money. I heard about that. For I, the yeah, so like all those extra things, like that's just him and his brain and what he wanted to put out there. And I'm sure there's more symbolism and some things that we didn't really realize like someone will probably have to do a, a breakdown maybe a deeper dive of like his performance and what he was trying to get across but yeah I don't know I thought he did a good job and it's tough I put out a tweet and I, I thought it was gonna go the other way I said who was better J-Lo and Shakira or The Weeknd and more people voted for J-Lo and Shakira and I was like no way J-Lo and Shakira stuck yeah Weekend was definitely better than that and I, it's it's just it's still creative. I mean, like even like if I'm like like the huge biggest fan of like all that stuff, like it's just 
it's so creative and like I, he's been like telling like a story about like I like the plastic surgery thing. I don't know everything about like behind it, but it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't like the mirrors. Those gave me a headache. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people we're, got dizzy. We're spending what? too much time talking about the halftime show now. It turned <laughs> so, into a meme. It turned into a it meme. Did. That's, That's all true. you're seeing. Yeah. That's all you're seeing. Yeah. So he won. He, his face is everywhere the day after yeah. the Super Bowl, and he made a meme moment. That's true. I mean, I'm just scrolling through social media, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I got to look away. I'm just getting a headache because it's like <laughs> five in a row. Just the well, meme. something had to take the place of the Bernie Sanders meme. So Yeah, that, that was getting stable. <laughs> yeah. That was getting that'll stuck. get it. It was, it was get very it funny run. at first, but it's yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> let's get in. Let's get into some baseball now. So, Keith, just for people that don't know your backstory, you were in the MLB fan cave, and that's a little bit before me and Sammy's time. So, can you just explain quickly, like, what the MLB fan cave was and what you did? Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how old you guys are, but seven years ago was the last class of the MLB fan cave. The first year was 2010. It ran for four years. And what it was, you know, you guys won't remember because you're younger, but MLB, <laughs> MLB, there was a time where, like, you watch us on Twitter, John Boy, Jake, Talking Yanks, Pinstripe Strong. We clip up games. We make gifts. We just push out content. There was a time where you weren't allowed to do that. There was a time where MLB was flagging every GIF, video, Anything that came from the games was MLB property and they would flag that type of stuff and you couldn't do it. Like even the Barstool guys, you know, Barstool guys were getting in trouble because um, Big Cat used to clip the Cubs games and he was, he was always getting flagged and always getting in trouble with, with that. So what MLB tried to do was create their own digital hub in New York City where they would bring together content creators, fans, and those fans would watch every single game of the major league season, 2,430. I know that because I was in the fan cave and watched every single team play 162 games wow. the summer of 2014. And it was awesome. It honestly was my first step into, you know, this world, which is content creation, uh, social media, entertainment, television, major league baseball. I got to represent the Yankees. I was the one Yankee fan chosen out of, I don't know, um, 25,000 applicants. Wow. And, uh, you know, they picked eight people. There was a Cubs fan, a White Sox fan, a Red Sox fan, a Marlins fan, a Dodgers fan, a Giants fan, a Mets fan, and a Yankee fan, me. And it was just – it's so different now compared to what – like, it's – that's why I try and keep it alive. Thanks for actually, you know, mentioning that and letting me speak on that because – it was MLB's attempt to say, oh, we're cool. We're trendy. We, we, we understand the internet. Look at this. But then at the same time, the internet isn't like we had no capability of going live on Instagram. Um, this, is, this is before there was a TikTok. There was Vine back then. Snapchat was still fairly new. Instagram, you could only post a one-minute video. What else? Uh, Twitter, you know, you couldn't upload the long videos like you can on Twitter. It was MLB trying to do some type of cool, trendy internet thing, but it wasn't executed the best way. But the best thing I will say that came from that is people like myself, my boy Mike, who is a social media host for the Cubs. Um, who else came out of the fan cave? My guy, my guy Dan works at MLB offices. Uh, Serena, she's a Dodgers fan. 
She was at the World Series where the Dodgers won it. She went to the World Series that the Dodgers were in the last few ones. She's on the screen at Dodger Stadium when you go to Dodger games. Uh, there's, you know, there's a few of us that just came out of the fan cave and went into the sports media and entertainment world. And we've done things like, you know, I was on the Yes Network. I have a, a Yankee podcast. I'm a part of John Boy Media now. I don't think I would have got to where I am with these things if it wasn't for the fan cave because I went from being just a 25-year-old kid in the Jersey Shore area that liked baseball and liked the Yankees and watched all the games. But that kind of elevated me and gave me, I think, you know, I, I ended up gaining like a 1,000 or 2,000 followers from that. And then I just, you know, was in that world. I was validated as like, this is now, you know, this guy was in the fan cave. He's one of the guys you should pay attention to. He's a content creator. He's going to be making dope social media. And I would just start going to different games and stadiums and, you know, making vlogs and content after the fan cave, which got me to where I am now. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's been seven years. This time, seven years ago, I was getting uh, phone calls from MTV casting. 212 New York number would call my phone and I pick up. Hey, how's it going? And like, hey, Keith, this is such and such with casting. You know, I remember the first one was like, hey, you, you've made it to the next round. Like, you had to send in a two-minute video of yourself saying why you're a baseball fan, why you like your team, why they should pick you for the MLB fan cave, what you would do. At the time, I was also uh, like a DJ in the bars and clubs in the Jersey Shore area. So I think that helped me a lot, too, because I told him, like, if you pick me for the fan cave, like, I can DJ at the fan cave. And I was not just a Yankee fan, but the resident DJ. And I got in and, uh, man, it, it changed my life. It definitely changed my life. Yeah. I mean, we're 16, so we were, I guess, nine at the time. So, I mean, right when we first started <laughs> getting into baseball. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about the Trevor Bauer news though? Cause I saw that I was in the middle of Spanish class. I was scrolling through Twitter and I see that and my jaw just dropped. I'm like, I was convinced he was going to the Mets like a hundred percent. So was I, because the night before, Bob Nightingale and some other people were basically saying that the Mets had a deal. And what I think about the Trevor Bauer situation is Bauer played everything perfectly. Him and his agent, Agent Rachel Luba, who they have made extremely popular in a year. She was on the Forbes 30 for 30 list. She's like burst on the Twitter scene with 60,000 followers from zero like two years ago. Um, what I will say is that they played it very well. Trevor Bauer is overrated. I don't care what anyone says. Yes. He yeah. pitched in 2020 in a 60-game season in the Central Division that was only constructed for those 60 games that featured teams like the Tigers, the Pirates, the Royals, just teams that – Even the Cubs, I mean, we couldn't hit. <laughs> right. So yeah. it's like you win a Cy Young in a 60-game season against the worst competition on a one-year deal with the Reds. Good for you. Now go maximize that. And in the offseason, you're the, the prize possession. You're the prize pitcher. You're the one that everybody wants to land. He, if it was a year before, it would have been Garrett Cole than him. The Yankees went out and got Garrett Cole. I knew we were not going to pay Bauer $40 million. You know, after you give Garrett Cole $36 million a year, that AAV is too high. It'll cripple your franchise. But the Dodgers have money. And I know a lot of Yankee fans and the Yankees front office included were saying, you know, we're staying under the luxury tax. Nobody's going to blow past the luxury tax. Nah, the Dodgers, I knew there was a chance that the Dodgers might do it. And the Dodgers understand that, hey, we went out and got Mookie Betts, gave him $350 million, 
and he helped us this year. We, we actually got over the hump this year. We got to the World Series and won it this year, and he played great for us. What else do we need? Well, Kershaw is a year older. Uh, you know, in October, what gets it done? Pitching. So go out and land the best pitcher you can land this offseason to shore up that rotation. And you have David Price coming back, a Cy Young winner, left-handed. Like, the Dodgers are the favorites to win it again. And it is extremely difficult to go back-to-back. But I think Trevor Bauer is going to be, like, a three or four for them. And I think they won the offseason just by, obviously, winning the World Series and then landing the biggest pitcher in the offseason – and paying him his 40 plus million a year, which is crazy, but I'm sure the contract is structured where uh, that won't cripple him. So hats off to, you know, momentum, Trevor Bauer, Rachel, uh, Rachel Luba, like they finesse, they did their thing and he got a big contract and he's going to the world series champs. Yeah. Well, you talk about momentum. I mean, like, it, and it just shows you like in a shortened season right before your contract or you, you know, right in your contract year, you have like a great year when the Cy Young, I mean, he probably, he probably would not have gotten paid more than like 15 million. Uh, if, I mean, I, I don't know exactly, of course, but if he would have been how he was in 2019, it, right. it wouldn't have been a ridiculously huge contract. And, you know, you go out and perform and like what you were saying, a weak central division, because you think about the pitchers who are, you know, some Cy Young candidates, Darvish, uh, Bauer, Bieber in, in the AL, all in that central really weak offensive division. So, I mean, but at the end of the day, yeah, he's overrated. Yeah, he's pro- definitely getting overpaid, but it works perfectly for the Dodgers because you look at the rotation and they have so many, so much talent and a lot of options. They have a lot of young guys uh, like Dustin May that he may be in the rotation, he may not be, but if he's not, he's going to be a great option out of the bullpen for long relief. And then yeah. if he is, you know, he's going to give you some good starts. So they're just so ridiculously deep and I feel bad for the Padres because they've been doing all they can and the Dodgers are still one-upping them it's it's crazy the way that the Dodgers built their team is incredible they still have a top five farm system in baseball they have by far the best team talent wise in the MLB yeah they're over the luxury tax but you know they're not they have some guys coming up in contract years they basically haven't lost anybody so far like a big name that they've had. And it's just kind of crazy. And I've been saying before the season that Trevor Bauer is overrated. Just looking, I looked at his baseball reference one day, like last year, and I'm like, like, this is Trevor Bauer's stats. Like it was kind of one of those. (laughs) And I just think like guys, people in your demographic, Keith, like a little bit older baseball fans, maybe even older than you hate Trevor Bauer for his antics. Kids my age, Love Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Love Trevor Bauer. I, I like him. Yeah. No, I like I like him. And uh, it's funny because when I said momentum, it's it's a that's a play on words. His company is is Watch Momentum. Momentum yeah. is his media brand. I love I love him walking like he's Conor McGregor. I I love him. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, basically showing up to a press conference with a shirt that says "Your Ad Here." He understands this is a business, and he also understands the momentum that he had, like you said, playing in the 60-game season, winning the Cy Young. He's the Cy Young winner for 2020. No one can ever take that from him. He isn't worth $40 million a year in any other season, any other scenario, but he gets it from the Dodgers who have Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, uh, Dustin May you mentioned, uh, David Price that I mentioned coming back. And now you add Trevor Bauer, like – 
that's that's crazy. It's crazy that it's crazy that the Dodgers anteed up like that. They can afford it. They got the highest payroll. They blew past the luxury tax. I don't think anybody else. The Mets might have paid him close to that, but uh, I don't think there's anybody on paper that matches up with the Dodgers right now. I think I saw a report saying that the Mets offered him three million dollars more than the Dodgers did, which is it's pretty I'm, insane. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's like oh my god, insane. <laughs> like. <laughs> I think, I mean, I didn't see, I did see the numbers on his contract. I think there's one year where he gets, I think his second year he gets closer to 45 million. So that means like, like, does that mean the Mets were going to give him closer to like 47, 48 mil? (laughs) No way. Like that would have been so dumb. Let's see. I don't know. He did a lot with that like announcement video. Let's see how it plays out. So much. So much hype. And he and that's what I'm saying. He understands social media, the internet, the hype. He played the Mets. He even put up a a welcome to New York t-shirt with him with the, you know, with the Mets hat on in a cartoon, and people bought it. And then he just went to the Dodgers. If the Mets signed him for like 48 mil, that would have been as Metsy as it gets. <laughs> I like that. I like that. As John Boy and Jake say, but no, no I mean okay. ridiculous. You all think they're going to re-sign Turner because I mean, like it's, for me, it's a little hard to imagine him playing anywhere else. But like, you know, money obviously is tight. I mean, they're over the luxury tax. Yeah, so you're so you're saying that you think the Dodgers won't pay Turner, or you're saying I, the Mets will bring back Turner? I, I think the Dodgers are going to bring back Turner. But you know, it's it's. I think it's a little more of a question now, just because you know they're over, over the luxury tax. But you know, for me, I, I I just it's hard for me to imagine Turner playing anywhere else. I mean, I guess maybe New York. There have been some talks or the Mets. I but- think Turner comes back. I don't think he's going to cost that much, and they're already over the luxury tax. They're yeah. probably just going to pay him. And a, a tweet that I put out that actually went well. I I said, uh, you know, the Dodgers don't care about going past the luxury tax and getting the best players because they understand you win the world series. All you're going to see is dollar signs. There's so much money that comes from being the last team standing the television money, the, the fans they're making, think about all these little kids now that watch the Dodgers win it this year that are forever Dodgers fans and how much money they make off the merch, you know, selling world series hats, world series shirts, like, yeah, it's not crazy. Los Angeles, it's like the big, you know, outside of New York, the biggest market. Yeah, I think I think once you're over the luxury tax, it doesn't matter as much. Like, like obviously, you're not going to go out there and get like a guy for like fifteen million dollars, but like an extra couple million, like you're not going to lose draft picks from that point, right? Like the only thing that's happening is you're getting taxed more money, right? I think the luxury tax is fifty cents on every dollar that you go over. And so if they're over 10 million, half of 10 million is 5 million. And to millionaires slash billionaires that own the Dodgers, they already have had the conversations and it doesn't matter. And I pulled it up. Bauer's first year in 2021, he'll get 40 million, the biggest payday in history, bigger than Garrett Cole. And then in 22, he'll get a raise to 45 million. And then he has an opt-out. He has an opt-out after each of the first two seasons. If he sticks around for a third year, he'll get another $17 million. So that is how they got that deal done. Um, in his third year, he'll only make $17 million, And that is similar to like what I think, I think Sam just said, $15 million. Like 
Yeah. I think he's more of a $17 million a year pitcher than a $40 million pitcher, but that's the market. Yep. Yeah, Keith, I don't know if you've heard about this because it, it came out pretty recently around 3 o'clock, but Ken Rosenthal reported that um, the MLB is changing the baseballs to slightly um, control the home run rates in recent Oh, my. Yo. So we go from the juice ball era in 2019 – to no, no no juice balls we thought in 2020, but sometimes we thought they yeah. were juice to now. And I think something's up. I, I think it's fishy because, like, MLB acquired Rawlings a couple years back. So it's like them even making an announcement, hey, we're changing the balls again. It's like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> some, some, something's up there. Something's fishy with that. We want home runs. Chicks dig yeah. the long ball. That's a, that's a commercial before you guys' time Nike put out with uh, Greg Maddox and uh, Tom Glavin. And that's when those two guys won Cy Young's with the Braves and Mark McGuire was smashing baseball steroid era. And they were saying chicks dig the long ball and people come to see home runs and fans go to the game, hoping that they can catch home run balls. And, you know, it's all about the home run. It's all about the home run. We'll see. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't like, I, you know, I, I, I like you said, like, I like, you know, I like the home runs. I have no issue with it. Like, it, but I think that also causes the high strikeout rates and the walks and less balls in play too. Yeah. There's a ripple effect to everything. And uh, now we're going into 162 after a year of not having 162. And they're probably thinking like, you know, we don't want to have the most ridiculous year ever. Guy hit like wise. Right. <laughs> if John Carlos Stanton is healthy this year, he might hit 80. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also think that that baseball is kind of at a point now where they keep changing the rules with the universal DH and now this. It's like for GMs trying to construct a team, I mean – if, if you know that the balls are juiced and you, you bring in a lineup with sluggers, like, like the Yankees, for example, a lot of home run hitting guys. And, and I bet probably had no impact on how they constructed their roster whatsoever. But like, I don't know, like certain teams, like, like construct their roster based off of the universal DH that was in play last season, based off of the juiced home run balls. And now both of those things might not be, in, might not be the case next year. I mean, it's not a good look. Yeah, baseball is a mess, and uh, I say that not about the game. I love baseball. I love watching the game. I can watch KBO. I can watch Little League World Series. But Major League Baseball is a mess because the rules and the changes that they're making to the game aren't always for the good of the game. They're bargaining chips, and they're things that come from negotiations between the Players Association and the owners. Hey, we'll give you guys the DH if you play a 14-team expanded playoff. And the players are like, we don't want to play an extra week. We don't want half the league to get in. There's only 30 teams. Why would we want 14 teams to get in? We understood it for 2020. 2020 made sense because there's teams that would have been snubbed that, like, they, you know, they only played a third of the year. It's hard to judge. But – um, I think we're headed for a lockout because the way that these owners negotiate with the players, it's uh, not on good terms. And uh, they are ruining the game in some ways. And it's, it's tough as a fan because you want to watch your favorite team and your favorite players play. But uh, 2021, we'll see how it goes. I am worried about the negotiations from November to February of next year 
and where we'll be after they negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement. The word lockout just after a 60 game season, it's like, Oh no. Yeah. It's scary, no. man. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm super nervous for the CBA next year, but let's go on now to basketball and we're going to take, take a little bit of a Nets approach from this. So me and Sammy are both not net fans. So we're not like all in depth on the Nets analysis here, but just coming. What, team, what teams do you guys like? I'm a I'm, Wizards fan. You're a Wizards so, fan, DC. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, and I'm a I'm a Bulls fan. Go go Bulls. And okay. I like the Bulls, man. I think um, I I think they're underrated. I think you know it's some injuries, but Kobe White, Zach Levine. Oh yeah, Col- yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of guys playing well. Thaddeus Young is like a monster off the bench. They've but, got uh, Garrett Temple. He was on the Nets last oh, year. Yeah, he's he's been great. Uh, beautiful yeah but i mean just from a nets perspective like from a nets fan what would be like an acceptable end of the season for the nets like is it championship or bust for you or is it like if they make it to the if they make it to the finals and lose in like six games are you going to be upset yeah we just recorded talking nets right before this and i opened up the episode saying if tom brady can go win his seventh ring in tampa where we've never seen a team host the super bowl before and win it there's no reason why this big three can't go win the NBA finals this year. Like, I, like that's the type of energy I was bringing through. And even the Yes Network and some of the ads before we got Harden, right? Last year, they're saying this team is playing for a championship. Oh, yeah. KD, Kyrie, two of the best players in the world. And then we got guys like Joe Harris. And before the trade, we had Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, like great role players. When you get rid of guys like Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and you bring in James Harden, the only option is to win it. And when I say win it, I don't mean just the Eastern Conference. It would be great if, if we could figure out how to win the East and get to the finals. But the goal is to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy. We all know it. As a Nets fan, we were hurt to see guys like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen go because we love those guys. We watched them the last four years. So if you're going to mortgage our future draft picks, and get rid of players that we love to put together a big three of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and uh, Kevin Durant, they better get it done. That's the expectation. And this is New York. It's market one. Um, if we don't win the championship or at least get to the finals, I think if, if the Nets fall short of the finals, there's going to be a lot of people laughing, pointing the finger, um, saying, I told you so, saying, oh, they did all that for nothing. It's going to be tough for me as a Nets fan and a guy with a, a Nets brand that hosts a Nets podcast to to deal with that for a year. So we got to win it. And yeah. a lot of the issues for the Nets have, you know, been on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, that uh, your offense isn't really the issue. Do you think that's something they're going to address with another move? They've already, you know, obviously made the Harden trade and some other moves. So is that something they're going to address like that? Do you think it's just they have to mesh better on the defensive end of the ball? Yeah, so today means- they announced that we signed Noah Vonley, who last was with the Chicago Bulls, yeah. but he tested positive for COVID and they ended up waiving him. Yeah. So you bring in a guy like Noah Vonley, and that's exactly what we need, a 4-5, a guy that can play you know, power forward and center, and just be a rim protector, grab boards, and you know just help our front court. That's what we need. and. We already brought in Norvell Pell. We got to see him play a little bit against the 76ers. He played 17 minutes, had three blocks, and fouled out. Tough, but, you know, that's the mentality that we need. And we brought Iman Shumpert back. So, with those three guys filling the roster, I think those, those three guys are going to bring more of a, a dog mentality, um, add to the Brooklyn grit. 
And, you know, I think the, the narrative that has been floated around the last few weeks since James Harden has been here is that, oh, the Nets can't play defense. They can't get a stop. They're, they're not going to win. They're not going to stop anybody. But if you really watch the games like I do and you watch guys like James Harden, James Harden is a great defender. KD is a great defender. They're not just scorers. Kyrie can be better, but when Kyrie wants to, like in that Clippers game, he can lock down and, and be serious about defense. In the Wizards game, they were, guys like Bradley Beal and Westbrook and even Ish Smith, they were blown right by Kyrie. That was unbelievable. Yeah. That game was, that game was ridiculous. We're unbelievable. La- yeah, the, the ending of that game was, was ridiculous. And the Nets needed that. It was humble pie, right? You guys walk in all big and bad, and uh, at the time the Wizards had three, three wins. wins. <laughs> So people are like, oh, they're going to blow them out. No, they didn't blow them out. They actually, the Wizards kept that game competitive and close and then stole it late. And the Nets had to look in the mirror and say, what are we doing? Coaches too. The end of that game came down to coaching as well. Steve Nash being a rookie coach, it hurt. You know, it's like, you know, veteran coaches know what to do. But Steve Nash is coming along. And, and these things take time. I didn't play basketball at a high level when I was young. I stopped playing basketball when I was about 13. But I, even I knew, right, I played AAU with a bunch of kids that were – it was a traveling team. They were from kids all over the county, some of the best kids in the county. But it took us weeks to get a flow together, a rhythm together, know our strengths, know who can shoot, know who's going to be good in the paint, know who should guard their best guy. If we're going man, who's going to take who? If we're playing zone, where's our, our zone weak? And the Nets are figuring it out. And the thing about this season is – it's a challenge because, like right now, co- like COVID, KD can't play till Friday. So if yeah, KD can't tough. play, he, he can't practice. And then, like, with them forcing a 72-game season, 71 games after the bubble – or 71 days after the bubble ended, it all happened so fast. And we're in the season now where there's a game every two days. A lot of times there's back-to-backs. And you don't get to practice because – on the days that you have off, you have to travel. Or the days that you have off, you actually need off to be with your family. Um, the, the, the Nets need more time to practice to gel, and they will. And we're coming up on all-star break in a month. I'm not worried about the Nets because I, I see how we play against top, top, top competition. Uh, the defense will figure itself out. We got good coaches um, behind Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni and Jacques Vaughn. And this is the NBA. They'll, they'll figure it out. So out of the Eastern Conference teams right now, you got, you know, the Celtics have fallen off a little bit the past few weeks. Yeah, Bucks, uh, 76ers. Out of those teams, which one of you scares you the most as a Nets fan? Because even you guys are in third place right now. I- I'd say they're still the favorites to win the East. So who's uh, the, We just played them. The team that scares me the most is the Sixers. Um, and I wouldn't say scares me the most because I'm not scared of any of these teams because, like, we got the scary team, scary hours. You know, we got the big three with the three scariest players combined. But what I look at with these teams is, is like in the, in the posts and in the paint. Embiid is looking like an MVP, and we had no answers for him. We beat the Sixers. We beat the Sixers a couple of weeks ago, but, um, you know, we lost to them Saturday night. And, yes, Kyrie sat out, and KD wasn't on the floor, so you can't accurately judge it. But you can still take a look, and you can see that, like, you know, the matchup with, with Joel Embiid, when we get into the playoffs, like if he can just have his way in the paint down low with us and we don't have an answer for him, like they can beat us. Other teams in the East, I'm not really afraid of. Uh, the Bucks. we beat the Bucks already. And we beat the Bucks like one of, Yard, one of Harden's like first games, I think. And uh, we played up. And, 
you know, I don't think they're going to match up well against us. Um, I think really it's the Sixers that I'm worried about, and that's it in the East. Because we're third right now. Yeah. The Sixers are first The in the East. The Bucks are second. I don't think the Bucks have it. Um, I yeah. think it's between the Nets and the Sixers. I'd agree with that. I think I think it's between, those are the big teams in the East. Are you a big college basketball fan? Dude, I was. I, so it sucks. Uh, I was a huge Duke fan growing up. Uh, I just loved the Cameron Crazies, the Jerseys. I loved how much people hated Duke. I grew up in the era where, like, you know, Duke had great players from Bobby Hurley to Christian Leitner when I was, like, a really young kid to the era of, like, J.J. Redick. Even before J.J. Redick, like, Grant Hill, Jay Williams, Chris Duhon, J.J. Redick, um, even, like, Greg Paulus. And then it went to, like, the Grayson Allen era. Um, I love Duke, but I don't pay attention to them as much anymore. They're not as good. I think they just lost to UNC this past weekend. I think they're seven and eight. And it doesn't feel right watching Duke play without the students. And uh, I, my fandom has changed from being a kid to an adult because I've turned into a fan who gets paid for being a fan. Like, when I, had a, when I was just a kid, I was a fan of everything. My favorite college football team was the Knowles. Basketball team was Duke. Football team, the Cowboys. Basketball team, the Nets. Baseball team, the Yankees. Just picked them all over. But now I really only care about the Yankees and the Nets because I have two podcasts and brands, and I need to know about those teams. Yeah. yeah. Man, I, a, I feel your pain. I'm a big Knowles fan. Football is rough right now. It is yeah, not no. going good, but – you know, Don't Mike get Rodell, me started on Florida State Mike football, bro. Get us it's sad. It, it, it's sad to watch. the. When Jimbo game. left, it, it started when Jimbo left. When uh, Jimbo left, I mean, Willie Taggart coming in, that it was just brutal to watch. But, you know, it, Keith, it was a mess. Keith, I'm not calling you out on anything, but I got to say, very interesting team choices. You know, Cowboys, Yankees, front basketball, FSU football, you know, very Complete bandwagon kid. Complete front runner. And I, I say that and hey, I we, laugh because I'm 32. I picked all my teams when I was like five or six. And I was a Bulls fan before I was a Nets fan. I don't, I don't care. I tell the truth because anybody that knows knows in the 90s the Nets weren't good. But once Jordan left, I wasn't going to become a Wizards fan. I picked <laughs> up the Nets. And, yeah, I was a front runner as a kid. I grew up without my dad around. I grew up with a brother that was 10 years older than me. And I just had the TV. And when you just can watch TV, you watch the teams that are on all the time and you watch the best teams. And when your mom's like, hey, I'm going to buy you a hat or a new jacket or a book bag or a, a new jersey, who do you want? I wanted the best teams. I had no other influence besides what was popular in America in the 90s. And that's how I picked my teams. But the loyalty factor is there. there I have pictures of me and Yankee stuff as a baby. I have pictures of me and Yankee stuff as a grown man. Same thing with uh, the Cowboys and the Nets. I go back to like middle school. There's pictures of me like 13 to 14 with the Nets. But yeah, I, mean, I, I don't, I I don't have a problem with, with that. I feel your pain with Duke. I'm a Kentucky fan. Um, so it's, Kentucky uh, is. We're in a very similar spot, even worse. <laughs> Way it's, worse. It's Just remember brutal. the good times. Just remember the good I, times. Man. And it pains me because last year I was real. I really felt like before you know, the world got shut down. Uh, I felt that Kentucky had a good, good team. It was like one of the groups that was meshing better than 
other years. And then now we're five and 12 and we just lost. by. And we didn't get March Madness last year. So nobody knows what those teams. Oh my God. FSU. I I fully believe that Florida state would have won March Madness last year. Hundred percent. Yeah, they had a solid team. They had a great team. And it sucks. Fourth in the country. Hundred percent. I was watching Florida State the 2013 national championship on TV the other day, and I, it was sad to watch. But you know, Keith, we thank you for coming on. We really appreciate you doing this, and it's great to have you on, Sammy. Any last words? Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Keith. It's been super fun talking. You know, all sorts of sports, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I'll say this. First, thank you guys for having me. I'm glad we could make time and make it happen. Secondly, I'll say keep pushing, keep working, keep doing what you love to do. Obviously, you guys are sports fans like I am. You're half my age, but, you know, it starts there. I didn't have Zoom. I didn't have podcasts. I didn't have social media to reach out to bring guests. Like, you guys have so much at your fingertips just keep going with it and you don't know where it's going to go or what it's going to turn into. Obviously you got to work on school and finishing school and that type of stuff. But you know, to have this on the side as like a side hustle or side hobby, it's great. It's obviously what you guys love to do and talk about. Just keep working on it and building and don't be afraid to reach out to people like me or, you know, Joe's McFly, Chris McFly or John boy or Jake or whatever. We're all super busy, but uh, we see young guys like you guys and, and we see ourselves in you guys. Like we were like you guys, we just didn't have the tools that you guys have. So keep going. And uh, thanks for having me on. If you need me on another time, I don't know, during baseball season or uh, when we get closer to finals, I'll be happy to, to come back on. Yeah, anytime. You're, we're yeah. welcome to have you on. You are amazing. I mean, I am every single Pinstripe Strong episode. See the notification on YouTube. I am right there every time. Appreciate it, that. I mean, if you guys are Yankee fans, even if you're not a Yankee fan, just the energy – that they have yeah. on their podcast is amazing. Check it out. I'm going to be honest, never listen to Talking Nets, but, you know. It's fine. Talking Nets is only 77 episodes in. No, we just did 79 today. I don't even know how many podcasts I have on my own podcast. Uh, <laughs> Pinstripe Strong is like 132 episodes. A lot of episodes. Um, and, and we just have fun. Um, Pinstripe Strong, the whole thing with Pinstripe Strong is like, seriously not serious like we're clowning the whole time we're it's like you're joining in on our party you're joining in on our convo and when we get back into the stadium like that's what we really do like we don't do the computer stuff like joe's goes to every game i go to every game and we show people what it's like to be a yankee fan in the bronx and have a good time watching baseball and um you know hopefully people will get to see us do that this year yeah Yeah, i'll say I'll say I, I'm a Cubs fan, and, you know, Jack obviously was telling me all about Pinstripe Song, and I, I checked it out, and, you know, you're, the energy is just – it's awesome. I love it. Even, you know, I don't know all the Yankee stuff, obviously. I'm not a Yankee fan, but uh, it, it's a great podcast. So I, I will agree with Jack that even if you're not a Yankee fan, you should check it out. Yes. Yeah, I'm, and, and I, I got to connect you. You got you to gotta look up my boy Mike Bowling, M-I-K-E-B-O-L-L-I-N-G. He was in the fan cave with me, and now he works for the Cubs. He does their social media content and like YouTube shows. And if you're yeah. a Cubs fan, you connect with him. Like he's got access to all the Cubs stuff. And he's like, he's, he's like my little brother in the Cubs world. Like he's like me in the Cubs world. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. I'll definitely check him out. Yeah. I love, you know, any, any opportunity to, you know, talk to anyone related to the Cubs. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Well, great episode guys. Episode. Is this episode 52, Sammy? We are. Yes, 52. That is where 52. we are. Wow. Like CC. 
Like CC, yeah. great yep. episode. And we'll see you guys next time on Chatter from the Cheap Seats. Mm-hmm.